Hey. Yeah, we're rolling. We roll in. Uh, JB, JB cast today is just Tiora and myself. Paul is exiting the building, though he's, he's uh, left his laptop as a sacrificial offering uh, because he's got a family or something like that that he has to go and spend time with. Uh, T-Bone, welcome. Today's topic, very, uh, very much... Hello. I believe uh, in demand from the people, they want to know about nutrition. So, well, this isn't going to be a long one, but the topic of nutrition is in fact enormous. So, I'm going to go right ahead and call this part one of our uh, exploration into uh, the hot topics of different diets out there. So, we're talking paleo diet, ketogenic, intermittent fasting, vegan, vegetarianism. A little bit of a brush over all of these in our personal experience. Uh, yeah, so... And then the approach that, uh, that we take when people come to us for advice for food. Yeah, which that's a big one, isn't it, that comes up from new people coming in. It's like you want, they want to address the training first and then usually once that's sort of all in a bit of a routine <coughs> and going well, the next question that comes up is what should I be doing for my diet, right? Um, so look, officially, this is JB Cast number 11 the food episode, so welcome. Um, all right, so let's start with, the, I guess, a bit of a basic uh, talk on what each of those are because I, I'm guessing a lot of people have heard these sort of names and buzz names but probably don't really know what the fuck many of them are either. Um, T-Bone, what are you most familiar with, paleo? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I am familiar with paleo. Tell me, tell me, what is it? Break it down. Look, I think... Paleo has, look, it became a bit of a fad. I think it's starting to die out a little now. Uh, the problem with, well... Tell me what it is before you break it well, down. Well, here's the thing. Like, it's, it's a, um, there's the, 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 is it Rob Wolf? That yeah. guy? Yeah. He kind of made it pretty mainstream. But it was his interpretation of, of the Paleolithic man's diet, um, which... I think a lot of paleontologists have um, contested. They didn't agree with it. And um, I, my, my, look, my, my, my personal opinion with paleo is this. Humans uh, can eat fucking anything. We've got a really long digestive system. We, we can literally eat anything and turn it into fuel. And that's what's made us so... One of the one of the major things that have made us so so successful as a as a as a, uh, as a mammal on this planet is that we can live um, on ice and eat uh, a diet of just fats and flesh, and then we can we can live in a tropical island and live off fruit and ground roots and fish, and then we can live in in the in the in the middle of a, the desert and live off the blood of a cow. And um, some and a little bit of wheat, uh, and some milk, um, and these diets can vary all over the world. So if you look at the Paleolithic diet, it's not necessarily what uh, one specific dietitian says or or a, or, a, or a practitioner. It is if the Paleolithic diet was whatever the hell was available at that time, you know. And if you want to really break it down, it's what's seasonal. Um, Wait, don't go there yet. Tell me what it is. Well, that's what it is. 
Wow, I fuck. Actually, paleo was that? As in the, the popular paleo diet? The, I don't know what the popular paleo diet is, but what the, what the paleolithic ah. diet is for, for, okay, for well, cavemen. Yeah, right. Well, I think first, let's say like, all right, well, let me throw down what I think. Like paleo diet, as in if you read uh, Rob's book, Paleo Solution, and I, he based that from Loren Cordain's book, which was paleo something, the paleo something else. In any case, it's, it's basically like meat and vegetables and mostly, uh, mostly like leafy vegetables, so not so much of the starchy stuff, um, and then plenty of fat. And I think the things that were mainly excluded were grains, grains and legumes. Yeah. yeah, and that was the big... Grains, legumes. Yeah, and that was his whole thing, right, was that like they're the devil and that each grain is its own little organism and that it's trying to kill you and when you eat it... it messes with your gut and this is why we have all these digestive problems and blah, blah, blah. So essentially, I think in, you know, I did the paleo diet for a long time, not super strict, but, but just followed a rough template of it. And I know a lot of people in the fitness scene were and still do. And I think what it, whether or not Rob Wolf intended for it to, to go that way, it became a low carbohydrate thing, right? It became high protein, high fat, vegetables and no carbs. And it was, it was interesting because it was mostly popularized through CrossFit where people were doing really high-intensity training but then not really consuming any carbohydrates, which we now know is a bit of an issue, right? So I kind of agree with where you're headed and I'll preempt it by saying that I think, I think it got over-romanticized, the idea of what a caveman would have mm. eaten. You know, like, yeah. oh, yeah, berries and, you know, Flesh berries and nuts day. and then, yeah, fucking animals Just all like the time. killing animals all day, every day. yeah. When in reality, that probably more of a scavenger than a hunter, you know? Yeah. And a forager. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the other thing that we tend to overlook with grain is that the human population, like, exploded uh, exponentially when, when we started to, to harvest. And it was wheat or forms of wheat or the, the ancient grains or whatever that that allowed us to, to do that. Uh, so if you look at it from, from like a statistical scale, if something's allowing a population to double and double and double again, then it, it can't be that, that bad for you, if you know what I mean, you know? Yes, I agree. And I, and I think that's an interesting viewpoint. For the species, it, was, it, was, it allowed success. And I think that what paleo, you know, uh, people who are proponents of, of that diet would, would contest is that it was good for the species but bad for the individual, which is an interesting sort of um, an interesting perspective, two different perspectives to take on the whole biological front. See, Fado, um, you know, is that, okay, this thing here might not be good for, for each individual. Um, let's say like working 20 hours a day and sleeping five, you know, four hours, four hours a night. But it's good for the collective. It, you know, it pushes the species forward at the expense of the individual. So, yeah, I feel you. I think that, that the start of the agricultural revolution, and this is also what, you know, what is said, and I, and I do agree with this at some point, is that we started to harvest grain, we started to be able to store grain, and that allowed us to eat and move into cities and create a bigger population. But it also was a bit of a decline for our health, right? Well, yeah, I... Was it the grain that like directly or is it the fact that with that came a whole bunch of, you know, 
other other um, changes like the refinement of fuels and stuff like that that allowed us to not have to work for the energy as hard. I mean, if you look at Stone Age, harvesting is very, very difficult, very time-consuming, very uh, high energy consumption. You have to work, you know. Nowadays, we've got machines that do all of that. So for me, I, I look at it as if you have uh, energy coming in and you don't burn it, then it's going to sit in there and turn into something that's, that's not so good for the body, you know. Um, if you if you can burn it, and then you can fucking eat it, you know. It's simple as that. Calorie is a calorie. Yeah, yeah. And I, to tell you the truth, after all all the different things that I've tried, and look, there's shit food and there's good food, but if we're looking at whole foods, you can eat something, and if it feels all right, if it's not making you feel ill, um, and it feels like a good source of energy, then then eat it. You know, I don't think you could sit there and say grains are bad for everyone because for one person it works really well and then that same person you give them a potato and it doesn't work so well. Mm. And you swap them around and it's like, okay, this guy works well on this fuel and hang out there and maybe six months' time that fuel is not working so well anymore, you've got to try something else. And this is where the seasonal thing comes in. The problem with grain and soy and all these other products is, is that they're in fucking everything. And we're not designed to have exposure to the one food group all year round, every year, year after year. And this is any kind of food group. You didn't have access to, to a certain animal for that long, longer duration unless you farmed it. You definitely didn't have access to a fruit or a vegetable or even a grain, even if you did harvest it. And nowadays you get it in everything. You get, get it in fucking lip balm, you get it in your canned food, you get it in... For if I could uh, makeup, you get in everything. Mm. So and corn as well, the big one in the states. So yeah, I think that constant exposure to the one to one food group. And if you have a look at paleo diets, like okay, well, you take the grain out, but then what? You just replace it with another food group that you eat all year round every year. More steak. If anything, it's just restricting more your nuts. ability to get to have more variety. You know? Yeah. Well, that's it. And then the same shit happens. You, you have a, you have this. Sorry, you have a, you have a surplus of the one ingredient that, in time, starts to become toxic. You know. Yep. So yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big advocate on, on paleo. Are you? Look, no. To be no, in short, I'm not. I, I think that uh, it's a bit idealistic, and I think in in practicality, for most people I see in the gym. You know, put it this way, if someone is uh, quite overweight, I think that generally eating meat and vegetables, plenty of, and reducing carbohydrate intake is, a, is probably a good decision. And it's case by case, but generally speaking, this is going to help them lose weight. I think for someone who is already at a relatively, you know, at a moderate to low level of body fat, um, or let's say a healthy level of body fat, if they're training hard, they're going to need carbohydrates because they're not carrying a lot of fuel stores on the body. So, you know, so when you get someone who's like, oh, yeah, I, I want to train three times a day and I also like to go running on weekends and do jujitsu and I sweat a bunch and all that, but I, I'm paleo, I don't eat, I don't eat any carbs, I'm, I'm, that's usually a bit of a warning sign for me because I'm like, yeah, probably this person is masking their shitty energy with lots of coffee. Mm. You know, it's like that's a, that's a tough kind of... Uh, that's a tough balance, I think. 
Um, people people come on, on like when when you get onto when you come off your your average diet and you move into say like a paleo diet. You come out of that and you're like six weeks in and you're like, fuck, I feel great. This is awesome. It's not, I don't believe that you're feeling great because you're on a paleo diet. You've just made a change. Yeah. And that change has allowed you to get rid of something that was in there for too long. And now your body's like, oh, man. Well I've done. finally had a rest from that one ingredient you've been feeding me every day since I was five years old, you know? Yeah. Or you've stopped. I mean, that's right. When most you, people do that, do they stop eating shit, right? Yeah. Or you that's stop that honeymoon shit. period. It's like, okay, no more meat pies, no more sodas on the weekend. Yeah. I'm going to cut the beers out. It's like, well, that's actually why you're feeling good because you're not having yeah. all that junk, right? Getting to bed at 9 p.m. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm training now also. Yeah, you're so doing it all of it. It's yeah. true. I, I mean, I feel the same and not to, uh, not to be critical for, the, for any of the vegans or vegetarians out there, but I, I know that a lot of people experience that with veganism. I don't believe that it works for everyone. And I, uh, I see a lot of people that go to it and they're like in that first couple of months, like I can't believe how good I feel. And it's like, yeah, well, fair enough. You're eating like a lot of vegetables. It, a lot of it's raw. It's all fresh stuff. You've become very mindful of where you're getting your food from. Like, man, you're doing wonders for your digestive system. But down the track, okay, we start to see some deficiencies and whatnot and that sort of honeymoon period is over, right? Mm. Not for all, but for, but for many. I think, yeah, it's, it's the, uh, that's probably a bit of a phenomenon with starting any new process, like when you start training for the first time, right? That, those first couple of weeks you saw and whatnot, but it's a much more profound benefit because of all of the different inputs, not just the fact that you're doing exercise. Yeah, the change. Yeah, and even the placebo effect and all those mm. things. Uh, okay, so paleo, it's a thing. Look, I think people should, should fuck with it for sure. I think people should try it out. You know, I don't, I think that's one thing to, to say overall with this topic is that, you know, and we'll come to this later, but no one thing works for everyone. So you have to take charge of it as your own experiment and you've got to give different things a go. And I, I, you know, we all know people that have had incredible results doing all kinds of different things. So it's, you can't generalize. And that's the hard part about nutrition but I also think that that's the enjoy the enjoyable side of it is that it's an opportunity for you to go and do your own research and play around, and you know you're the subject of that research and the experiment goes for as long as you're going to live. Um, but you'll never find the one perfect diet that someone's written a book about or that we're going to expound on this podcast today. What about keto? You know much about that? No, uh, no I don't. Okay, let me take you there. Yeah. So the ketogenic thing, and this is, this is kind of uh, timely right now because there's a lot of people in the fitness industry talking about it. And my favorite podcaster in the world, Joe Rogan, loves talking about keto. He's got a couple of guys, Don Diagostino and a couple others. Tim Ferriss likes talking about it. They get on his show and they're all about keto. So ketogenic diet is this idea of eating a diet that is predominantly fat and then uh, you know, like a, a substantial amount of protein, maybe 20% of your calories or something like that. And, uh, you know, essentially little to no carbohydrate. The basic premise is that uh, the body has a couple of different fuel sources it can run on, the cells. It can either run on glycogen, which comes from carbohydrate, and that's considered the most efficient fuel source. And the other fuel source is ketones, and that is something that your body produces when there's a lack of glucose to turn into glycogen so if you're not eating any carbohydrate and you're eating plenty of fat 
the body will do what it has to and turn that fat into ketones and the ketones will become a fuel source for the body. Um, so what it ends up in looking like, and I did this for a little while myself, you have a really high maintenance diet because all you can fucking eat is butter and avocados and like pork belly and coconut cream. Like you're, ch you're constantly chasing fat and olive oil and nuts and you know, you're eating some salad and things like that, but you, you're trying to stay away from anything that's going to raise your insulin levels, right? I found it ridiculously high maintenance. I don't like eating that much fat. doesn't seem to digest that well with me. Uh, at the same time I was training, I was doing, you know, the, the strength training that we do for five, six, seven hours a week, plus uh, a couple of pretty hard jiu-jitsu classes. And again, in that honeymoon period, it kind of worked all right. I remember I'd drink a lot of coffee before training, so that would perhaps cover up any, any uh, you know, um, any lack of energy, but it wasn't sustainable at all. I fucking, I struggled on the mats at the end of it. And I think that my recovery suffered as a result. Um, so for me personally, it was a, it, it was, it was a hard one. I, I, I didn't mind it as an experiment, but it didn't feel like a long-term solution for me. However, I know a lot of people that would fucking bet their life on it, that it's the future of diets. Have you come across anyone that's 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 messing with that? Yeah, I mean, I get it's that's been around for a, a while. It just didn't have the the um, the catchphrase. Um, I've tried it, something similar, and um, it it didn't. It felt great when I was doing it. I got really really lean really quick, which was wasn't what was a warning sign for me because it's not that's not something that I. You'd be pretty close to death if you got any leaner. No, I didn't want <laughs> it, you know, and fat just started falling off me and I was like, oh, I'm feeling good. Uh, but the numbers didn't reflect that in my training and uh, I couldn't hold any body fat on my body and I just thought, nah, th that, it wasn't for me. Yep. You know? Um I know, does Betsy, Betsy have kind of, Pretty similar to that. Yeah. A little bit of carbon in his diet, but not a lot. Yeah, I think Betsy was mostly on that. Yeah. Probably with a with a slightly higher protein ratio than standard keto. Yeah. So, and I, I think he he sways it. I mean, he's a fit, healthy, strong guy. Um, but other than that, no, I don't I don't know anyone that's look. I, you hear about people all the time hitting this kind of diet and three, six months down the track, if they last that long, they're back to eating the way they were. And this is where I think the problem lies with any kind of diet because you you have a way of eating, it's not the right way and your body's reflecting that, whether it's your energy levels or your body fat percentage or you can't hold muscle, whatever it is, and then you go on this fancy diet that puts all these uh, different uh, restrictions on the way you can eat uh, you see drastic change quickly, but it's unsustainable. And then you go back to what you know and you haven't learned anything. You haven't learned what you needed to change in the way you were eating before you went on the diet. So you were back to where you started and usually in a worse place because your body's just gone through this fucking roller coaster, and now you're carrying more body fat than before and energy levels are even lower and you're reaching out for shittier, faster sources of energy. And metabolism's all fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, I was thinking we should probably break down what 
protein, fat, carbohydrates and whatnot are because I'm sure there's some people listening that are like that maybe we've, we've scooted a bit far ahead of. But in essence, if we break down foods into, uh, into very broad categories, they can, be t- they can go into, into three different areas. They can be a protein, a fat or a carbohydrate. They're considered the three macronutrients. Alcohol is also considered a macronutrient, kind of sits outside of these. But essentially, any food that you eat will have um, a higher percentage of one of those macros. Let's take um, uh, let's take an egg. So an egg has fat, it has protein, it probably has some carbohydrate in there somewhere, but it has more protein than anything else, so it's considered a protein source. Uh, likewise, pasta, it has a bit of everything, but it's considered a carbohydrate source. So really, when we're looking at these different diets, there's... There's, there's much more that goes into it from a micronutrient perspective, but talking about these macronutrients, we're discussing the ratios and where each of those three macros sits. Um, so that, you know, the keto and the paleo thing is largely at the expense of, a, of carbohydrate, right? Um, yeah, look, I uh, further to that, no, wait, I'll come back to that point. I'll come back to that point. All right, take us to intermittent fasting. Tell me about that. Uh, okay. So intermittent fasting, you, so the, the process is to, to drop your calories, um, to a very low quantity for, oh, I think it's like a day, 12 hours or 24 hours or something like that. I think it's 400, four to 800 cal, um, one day and then two days of eating pretty much what you want. What's a calorie? Good day. And then dip back to 400, I think, every second day. Yeah, that's one way. That's one way. There's Something a, like that. Yeah, there's a few different protocols that, that were um, popularized by Michael Mosley in that SBS mm. series he did, which was really good. He's an interesting cat. But, uh, yeah, one of them was of the seven days in the week, two of them are calorie restricted, right? Two, yeah, that's one. So they were like 400 calorie days. So what is that? It's like a couple of eggs, maybe a small piece of toast and a couple of strawberries. That's it for the day, right? Um, But then there's other formats, right, that people were following. I I I used for a while and quite to quite good effect the – what is it? It's the 16 and 8, which was every day – you have 16 hours of fasting where you don't eat a thing and then eight hours of feeding where you can eat as much as you want in those eight hours. Um, I know a lot of people that use that quite effectively. Um, And then I guess even like, you know, there's people out there who, let's take take Muslims, they have Ramadan every year. So they have a period of four to six weeks, whatever it is, where where they don't eat during, while the sun's up, right? Uh, Christians have the same thing? Yeah, I think Greek Orthodox. Greek Orthodox, yeah. I think they just cut certain food out of their diet. Yeah, okay. They can't have cakes and stuff like that. Yeah, right. That's definitely going back to the paleo years. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, like fasting as a thing has always been a part of human diet, right? And I I like to look to the the old cultures, to the religions, because they were fucking doing it. They're like, yeah, well... You know, like whatever. I know a lot of Muslim guys who have found a way to hack it now. They just stay up all night and eat whatever they want when they should be asleep. Mm. So they don't have to eat during the day, but they can eat all night. But, you know, in reality, if you're looking back a few hundred years, or let's go back a couple of thousand years, it kind of seems intelligent to have a period where everybody is fasting to give their digestive system a rest and to, 
you know, to make you appreciate the abundance of food that, that we now have and all of those things. What are the, uh, what are, what's the key ideas? Are you familiar with the key ideas behind fasting? Um, no, not really. Do you do it? I don't, I, I've tried it and I only tried it because I, there was a bunch of people that I was training that were talking about it. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I'll just fucking give it a go. Um, I know it's got to do with uh, cleaning out the digestive, like giving it a break from food traveling through it all the time. Um, I think it does something to your metabolism. It cleans your blood system out of um, insulin, I think. I'm just guessing at the moment. I'm watching yeah. that fucking doco. <laughs> yeah. Trying to recall. I don't know a lot about it. It sounds like, again, like a like something that um, that would work, that that uh, took place naturally anyway in, in our environment, like the whole feast and famine, you know, because breakfast, lunch, dinner didn't really exist for the caveman, I'm guessing. Yep. And you'd eat on the run and or if you peasant. grab a few fucking berries, you'd eat them and then days would go past before you found something that you could hunt and then you'd hunt it and you'd kill it and you'd gorge on it. And then, so I, I understand that, like, from that point of view, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. But that's all I know. I don't know what the, um, what the, what the actual effects of the diet are supposed to be. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think in simplistic terms, it's like that's really all you need. I think that's all we need to acknowledge is that, like, it, it occurs naturally. You know, if you skip breakfast one day, then you're automatically doing some fasting intermittently, so you're already doing it. Um, but the, the, the necessity for it or the, I guess... The reason why it's such a thing now is because we live in an environment where we can eat, you know, three square meals a day. We can snack whenever the fuck we want and we tend to eat too much and not do enough exercise or movement. So we're eating in a surplus constantly. We're constantly consuming. So the idea of putting your body into a state where it's like getting a little bit hungry for a while is alien to most people. And so it's probably a good idea to explore it, right? Mm. I know that um, some of the interesting stuff from the SBS doco was talking about the, uh, yeah, like obviously resting the digestive system, which then allows the body to allocate energy to repair other things. So I think they were saying like cellular repair mm-hmm. and specifically if you've got, you know, cancerous cells, which everyone's constantly fighting off. Uh, but if you've got things like that, things that are attacking, the, the body's in a much stronger position to, to defeat those things. Um, but also, which I found really interesting and, I, and, I, and I, it kind of makes sense to me, was the improvement in cognitive ability. Mm, yeah, but, I remember that. Yeah, right? So he was saying when you, you know, from, a, from an evolutionary perspective, when you are hungry, it means that food is scarce. So it means that you need, it's more critical that you find food at that time. So there's this little mechanism that somehow unlocks more cognitive ability makes you a little bit more on edge a little bit sharper a little bit more focused so that if you're driven yeah you can fucking get that animal do what's needed and then you get the food and i think that that, you get all docile yeah then you turn to a fucking slob right yeah like when you go to uh to one of paul's family things and you sit down and have the big fijian feast and then afterwards everyone just lies there yeah and usually like nap or you know have a really slow conversation for a couple hours and then you go back for more but there's definitely that sort of thing. When you, when you feast, you get tired and a bit lazy. And then when you're hungry, y- y- you know, the, you're more energetic in a yeah. way. 
to a point. I right? found that when when I I did it for about six weeks. I did the I did the Michael Mosley one, and uh, I found felt you feel like you got more energy, but um, I just felt more alert when I when I didn't have food in my tummy. I felt like I was more productive. I, well, I think because you're not eat, you don't have that break to eat anyway, so you got extra yeah. time on your hands to yeah. You gain like an hour. I did find that it re-collaborated my my um, what I felt was when when I my my interpretation of being hungry because um, the first couple of days I fuck I hit some pretty serious like walls and I, I was like man I gotta eat and then I was like shit I've only been without food for like four hours I shouldn't feel this hungry but um, after the fourth or fifth day I was like okay I'm um, I'm empty my tummy's empty. I know I haven't eaten for a while, but I'm not. I've got heaps of energy in my tank. Like you could feel it coming from other places. So the body's ability to take uh, to transfer fat into energy and that kind of stuff just probably becomes a little more efficient, and other systems start kicking over. And uh, the other thing that happens is that mentally, you start to recollaborate and go, okay, well, this is how it is. I've adapted and. Um, now you can start recognizing the difference between what you feel is hunger and what true hunger is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, rather and than that, just that habitual yeah. hunger. Yeah. It's like, it's like, a, like an, an, an emotional hunger where you're like, oh gosh, I just need to kind like of feel the gap. Like crave your love kind of hunger. Yeah. <laughs> like a chocolate hunger or yeah. coffee hunger or whatever it is. Yeah. And, uh, and, a, and a fuel hunger where you're like, okay, this is kind of, I need fuel now to, to function, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's where I'm at with my food now. I'm pretty intuitive with the way I eat. So if I'm eating, and I think this is one thing that Adrian actually taught me, was just to be, to be eating, like have, have an awareness when you're eating and before you eat, rather than just randomly picking something up and chucking it in your mouth, and chewing on it and swallowing it and before you know it, it's gone, to be able to ask yourself, okay, why am I reaching for this particular food? Is it because I want to reward myself after a hard day's work um, or is it because I want to replenish my energy stores to hit that run uh, or is it because I'm, my body's fatigued and the muscle and tendon and ligament is damaged and it needs repair? Like why am I why am I reaching for this food, and how is it going to benefit me? And I find that the more intuitive or more in tune you are with what your body actually needs, the more chances you have of picking the right fuel at the right time. Uh, I actually experimented with this on my children. I've done it since they were born, uh, and that was just to give them the opportunity to choose the food that they want at that particular time. And it would all be good quality food, but there would be an element of fats, some carbohydrates, some proteins, some fruits, some vegetables, and just let them go through, especially when they were babies, and just taste things and get an idea of what these different um, uh, food groups were uh, without knowing the names of them, without even knowing what they look like. Uh, They're just using their body's intuition and... You know, and it might sound strange, but they always picked what what they felt their body needed at the time. Always, you know, makes sense. They'd go, "There's big carbohydrate, 
and then they'd go to the fats and then they'd go, you know, to the fruit. But every day it was slightly different. It was really strange. It wasn't the same. You'd think it would be the same thing every time and they just have a habit for like a fucking sugar, you know? Yeah. But it's definitely not like that. And then they would uh, sometimes gorge on protein and then other times they wouldn't even look at that and they'd just be after, you know, something with uh, with the high co- sugar content in it. Yeah. You know? So I think there's a lot to say about just letting, you know, being able to tap into to you know allowing your body to choose what it what it needs at a particular time and not to sometimes when you have so much information you start to lose track of the fact that you know you have senses and you have taste buds and you have smell and you have reactions to these smells and tastes that that tell you what your body needs because that's what it is at the end of the day isn't it you you, know? you have all the equipment you it's need there. to to, um, to yeah like a to fucking use by signals. date on food like you see people read it use by date and they just chuck it out because the use-by date says, oh, well, uh, some company that sold me a fucking product is telling me to throw that product out early, you know, or maybe not. Yeah. But why not open it, use your taste buds and just trust them, you know? You don't have to be told what's good for you and what's bad. And if something doesn't taste right for you, if it's too bitter, well, maybe you, that, that's not good for you. But if you feel like you can... You can you can tolerate it, then you should eat it. Again, know? we're talking whole foods, not pop tarts. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a really that's a really good point. Like going back to those those instincts that you have, of, you know, systems that have evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. They're fucking great systems, mm. but we're often clouding ourselves from being able to use them to judge now, and we just outsource it to the use by date or you know whatever whatever that restaurant's serving or what someone else thinks. Whatever someone's telling us is good for us. Yeah. Which all went to shit when you, when you look at all these products that the Heart Foundation puts a tick on and now, you know, you look back at some of this stuff and shit like Nutrigrain and things like that and you're like, what the hell, you know? This is what, uh, what the big companies are telling us are good for us but really at the end of the day, you know, a lot of it's just fucking junk. Well, there's, there's an interesting question then. So talking about going back to more, uh, more intuitive awareness of these things, uh, you could make the case that people should be able to do the same thing with exercise in a way, right? It's like you should be able to kind of sense what the body's in need of in a way and, oh, okay, today I feel energetic and I want to train heavy and, and hard and intense and whatever and then, oh, okay, today I'm feeling nervous system's a little bit run down. I'm going to train a bit lighter, maybe stretch, whatever, something a bit more skill-based. Um but we know that in reality, most people aren't in a position to do that, right? So we try to cultivate that here in the gym with our people um, and people get better at it and, they, and some can do it. But really for most people, they're working too much. They're not sleeping enough. They've got too much shit going on in their life that, that the, there's too much of a cloud around them when it comes to sensing those more finer tuned details. Do you think that somebody in that same position can cultivate a similar awareness around food or do we now need to rely on structures and parameters, i.e. diets or you know, macronutrient targets or whatever, in order for that person to get to where they want to be? I think that's where it has to start. You know, they have, that, there has to be an education at the beginning, but I think that education needs to work its way to a point where somebody can start calling the shots on their own, just like what we do in the gym for our training. You know, We teach them... 
the foundation and we make it strong. But then that's the, with the intention of them being able to go out and, and do the things, uh, or do it all on their own, you know, to one day be able to build their own program, no, or, or if they hurt their shoulder, what they need to do to manage the injury, bring it back to strength if they want to climb a mountain, how their approach to them, their, 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 um, their goal is, what that's going to be. And I think food is the same, you know. The more, you, the more knowledge you have about what your food groups do, what quantities you need, and you only need to know for yourself. You don't need to know for everybody. Uh, the, and the more in tune you in, uh, you're in with that, then the, the more likely you're going to get the changes out of your body that you want. And speaking of, I mean, look, if you're thinking about what most people come to us for when they talk about nutrition, there's always uh, a goal behind it. It's not... Uh, and it's not uh, usually like uh, just a common interest. It's not because, oh, yeah, I've got an interest in food. Could you tell me more about it? It's like I want to put on muscle and I want to lose fat. They're the two major reasons why people have an interest or come to me for any kind of information on, 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 on food. Yeah. And I feel, would you say the same? Totally, yeah, 100%. So I, I, I think from, from what we've seen... Um, the, the big roadblocks there are people that can't put on muscle and are carrying body fat, uh, and people that, and a lot of people that are carrying a, 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 a like excess body fat, and they're trying to shift that. Um, I think over the last year, we've found that a lot of these people just aren't fucking eating enough. Yep. The quantity, which is, is a crazy really paradigm, low. right? Yeah, it's strange. Starving themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a big learning. On you know with you know, I guess in our own development, you know, fair to say like we're not nutritionists. It's not, you know, we're not biologists. Like there's places that you can go to for the science behind these things. Um, but yeah, totally right for the people you know in, that we've been working with lately. It's like fuck, people are not eating enough, and so then they don't have enough building blocks to build new tissue and recover, and you know. Put on muscle, you know, for those that want it, but even just to recover from the hard training they're doing. Mm. So then what's the flip side of that is that they're under-recovering, which means they are stressing the body out, which means that stress hormones like cortisol are, are, are quite high, which means they're not resting well enough, they don't have a proper appetite, that leads to metabolic issues. Like then the body, because it's stressed, it wants to store fat because it thinks that, you know, the situation's pretty bad, so it's like, okay, I'm going to start to store energy here. So it's this whole shitstorm that occurs mm. purely because you're not eating enough. Um, and I think that for a lot of individuals, I know particularly for females um, who, you know, we could probably blame, uh, you know, whatever, fashion magazines and fucking, you know, modern female fitness industry marketing, but it's like they're trying to stay slim and, mm. and lean and it's all about like eating little bits. And it's like, man, it's fucking you up. Like mm. it's, it's ruining you, right? So yeah, I, I mean, I know like a couple of people I'm working with, giving them a bit of advice on 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 where they're at with their nutrition. I'm getting them to eat way more, and the first thing that they tell me in that initial week or two is like, I I'm not like I don't feel comfortable eating this much food, mm. and then usually after a couple of weeks, they're like, I'm feeling great. You yeah, know? or and they're I'm, like, I'm actually hungry. Yeah, yeah, and I'm losing body fat, mm. and I'm training harder, and and all those things. Again, it's interesting, right? It's that case of like, you are not just a machine that responds to one input at a time but it's like 
you are constantly responding to multiple inputs. So the stress from the mortgage you have, your children, the fact that you, whatever, you fucking get stuck in traffic on the way to work, you have an argument with a friend or a partner, you don't sleep enough, you enjoy too much alcohol on certain evenings. It's like all of those things combine to put you in a position where the body's just not going to let you lose the fat, right? I heard someone say the other day, which I quite liked, the, yeah, the, number, one, the number one trick for weight loss is sleeping more. And mm-hmm. I thought, I thought that's, that's a fucking really good point. I think sleep is you know, maybe not something we're going to go into on this because that's a whole other episode, but that's another huge part that people are under, uh, undervaluing in their health. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. Yeah, rest. It's a tough one. Fuck you know, yeah. It's a tough one to... You know, it's actually a discipline, you know? Yeah. It's true. You have to cultivate it, don't you? Yeah. And practice it. It's not easy. I admit, I'm not that great with it. But man, look, we've covered... Well, it's the tip of the iceberg, really, right? We spoke a bit about paleo, a bit about keto, a little bit about intermittent fasting. Um, there's more to go into. We're going to wrap it up there for today. Mm. Uh, I think next time we talk about food, we can talk about the approach that we've we've settled on so we've we've come in fo- we've come in a, like one full circle really yeah and now we have a system that we that we run through the gym with our members um and we have you know almost levels where obviously the information is uh available for everyone and then we have a a um an accountability um system that we use also that we charge individuals for but this is a, a, a little more in depth but we can go through the approach that we use with that next time we talk about about um, nutrition. Maybe we could make that our next one. Yeah, totally. Let's part do two. that. Part two. And, uh, and yeah, and I think like to – I'll throw some uh, show notes in on some other podcasts that if people want to go deeper down the rabbit hole, they can listen. I know I've, you know, over the years I've listened to a lot of really good podcasts from some interesting individuals, even ones that I disagree with, take like the keto ones and stuff. But I think it's really cool to expose yourself to all that so that you can start to make your own rounded opinion. Um, so I'll toss some of them into the show notes. But um, before yeah. we finish, yes, what is a calorie? Ah, yes, good question. Okay, someone's gonna fucking tear me to shreds if I get this wrong, but I believe calorie is, a, is strictly a form of energy or a measurement of energy rather. And so it was, it's defined as the amount of energy that it takes to increase the temperature of one cubic centimeter of water by one degree. So one calorie equals one, unit? Well, one, one calorie cube. equals the, the heat of the flame that it takes to heat that small piece of water, centimeter by centimeter by centimeter, up by one degree, right? So imagine, okay. you, imagine you got a lighter and then you got like a little... A little clear glass cube with the water in it you know so you're measuring how much heat is being output to yeah. raise by one degree so the the it's a very crude form of food measurement but basically i, I think the guy that he was a french guy many many years ago <coughs> le calorie yeah that's right jacques le calorie <laughs> um <laughs> dickheads uh i believe that he just set foods on fire and basically measured the temperature that came off them and how long they burned for, and from that was able to deduce how calorie dense those foods were. So it kind of it kind of makes sense in a way if you think of a burning piece of animal fat will burn for a long time and it will burn hot. 
Mm. So fat is very calorie dense. If you burn a lettuce leaf, it won't burn for very long. Yeah, it's not okay. calorie dense. If you burn a, a you know, if you burn a, a bundle of grain, it'll probably burn for a long time too. You know, like dry wheat or something like that. Or it might produce a lot of heat, might not burn as long. So that was kind of, you know, that's why the calorie thing is is a is a uh, perhaps a, a contrasting topic because it's like so oversimplified, but then it also kind of really works as a very simple black and white metric. Mm. So let's go into that next time. Talk about the calorie in, calorie out deal. Uh, but yeah, look, thanks for listening today, guys. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we're going to chuck some notes up in the show notes. Uh, we'd like you guys to investigate the other stuff, the other podcasts and whatnot. Um, that was JB cast number 11. We will catch you guys in a couple of weeks. We're out. Peace.